Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny King. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of Needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. 
head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth story is with Shay Cole. For Shay, getting pregnant was easy. The trick was staying pregnant. After three miscarriages, getting to the end of a pregnancy was such a mix of happiness and relief that brought along its own set of unusual circumstances like breaking her leg, having a stranger break into her house, and having her water break 78 hours before the birth of her daughter. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show and for sharing it with your friends and your family and people on the street and, you know, anybody who's pregnant. If what you hear is helpful, make sure to subscribe. It is free, and that way you won't miss a thing. Okay, so this month, October, is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and I find that this is, of course, a very tough but very important topic. Pregnancy and infant loss happen way more often than we know, and we don't talk about it that much. I looked up the numbers, and according to March of Dimes, about 15 to 25% of recognized pregnancies end in miscarriages, with about 80% of them happening in the first trimester. Now, if we take into account unknown early miscarriages or undetected pregnancies, then the rate is closer to one in three, and I've even seen one in one in two, 50%. So yeah, it is not uncommon to find out how many people around you have had a miscarriage once you yourself have had one or the topic comes up. If you've experienced a miscarriage or infant loss, I hope that you had really good support to lean on to get you through that very tough situation. And I also encourage you to talk about it if you feel ready, as these are alienating experiences that need to be acknowledged and by sharing them we can build more compassion around them so today's story with Shay Cole does begin with the mention of her three miscarriages before she shares the story of her rainbow baby um, I just wanted to make sure you knew that and so here we go welcome Shay it is so good to have you here on the show today thank you yeah I am very happy to hear that you've had your baby and connect because I, I so we talked on the phone ooh, over a year ago more yeah um yeah. it's got to be closer to two years right probably yeah I think so because it, I think it was my first pregnancy um when we were talking yeah and um and so a lot has happened in your life since then and we will get mm -hmm. to it but before we do that would you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am um, a first time mom. Um, I now have a baby that is almost four months old and um, he is the joy of my life. My husband and I are so happy to have him, um, but it's taken us a while to get there. We, uh, you know, tried for a couple years to get here and um, I learned a lot along the way. So um, I've been a faithful listener to your podcast. And um, I've known for quite some time that, you know, I really want to share my story with with your listeners. 
Um, and so now I'm, I'm really happy to be here and to be sharing. Yeah, and I'm happy you're here. When you reached out, you mentioned that you've learned so much along the way since you first decided let's have a baby. So let's take you back to those, you know, two years back or however long that was. Um, and what were your feelings there? Who was that Shay that was approaching birth? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, I just I thought it was going to be super easy, right? Because I'm healthy, my husband's healthy, um, and I, you know, haven't really ever faced um, a difficult time in a health scenario ever in my life. Um, so when we decided we were going to have a baby, I just I thought I was going to, you know, start trying, and there would be a baby in my arms nine months later, um, and it just didn't work out that way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So would you mind sharing a little bit of what has happened in those since the during that first year, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, what I will say is we have we never had a problem getting pregnant. You know, I, I was using um, an ovulation tracking app and um, uh, timing the timing method. And we got pregnant as soon as we tried. First try, we got pregnant. Um, but, um, and of course we were thrilled, but I had some spotting and basically from the beginning. Um, and you know, I, I told my doctor about it and she said, Oh, you know, can be normal. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, but I did end up having, um, a miscarriage at about, uh, I think it was about 11 weeks pregnant. Um, and, uh, that was a painful experience, both emotionally and physically. Um, and after that, you know, I said to my doctor, what caused this? Um, and she kind of said, well, you know, like often when you have a miscarriage, it's nothing that really caused it. It's just, you know, things didn't quite line up, you know, and it, it was people don't really realize, a lot of people don't realize how common it is. Um I think it's like 20, 25% of um, pregnancies end in miscarriage. Don't quote me on that, Adriana, you probably know better than me, but it's, it's incredibly high. Um, so she said, don't worry about it, try again, right? But um, I'm, I guess it's just the type of person I am. I felt like I needed to be proactive and that I would kind of go crazy if I didn't feel like I was doing something to increase my chances the next time. Um, so I started working with a naturopathic doctor as well, just to make sure that nutritionally I was doing everything I could to make sure that it didn't happen again. Um, and, uh, unfortunately it did happen again. Um, and the second time it happened, um, right around the same time. And it was, um, kind of the same story, right? Where I was spotting all the way along. Now, my, again, I got pregnant right away as soon as we tried. Um, so the, the time between those two miscarriages, it was, it was not a very long period of time. Um, so, you know, not a, a ton of time working with the naturopath before I got pregnant again. Um, and then after the second one, we waited a little bit longer to try again. Um, and I got pregnant for a third time. This time I had a miscarriage basically right away like at like six weeks. Um, 
but this time there was no spotting. It just like, it kind of just happened all of a sudden. Um, and so then we started trying again and the fourth pregnancy was successful. So between in that third one, that was a bit different. Was there any new questions being asked to your care providers and were you getting any different insights from your intuition or, Mm -hmm. and, or your doc, your naturopath and your OB and anybody else who was involved in this? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, from the beginning, my naturopath said that she believed that, um, you know, based on, uh, you know, her assessment of me and her assessment of how my miscarriages were going, she believed that I didn't, I was not producing enough progesterone to support these pregnancies. Um, and that's why the spotting from the very beginning. Um, and so she was putting in place um, the tactics that she had at her disposal to try to increase my progesterone uh, production. Um, now, my medical doctor didn't really, they don't, so I live in Canada, I don't know if it's different in, in the US, but they don't really have much concern until after your third miscarriage. So they just tell you, like, don't worry about it. It can happen. Like, keep trying. After you've had three miscarriages, only then will they start sending you to a specialist and and, thing, and running more and more tests, right? Um, so, but my naturopath was, she was a little bit more proactive, right? After the first one, she said, okay, there's some things we can do to make sure that your hormones are on track. Um, and um, I, you know... I'm not a I'm not a medical practitioner, but the third the third miscarriage was so different, right? It happened right away, and there was no spotting. So my my instinct tells me that that one was not because of progesterone. That one was the random, you know, chromosomes didn't line up, and you know, genetically it just didn't work out. Um, whereas the first two, it felt like my body couldn't support it. Um, And after that third one, my naturopath said to me, you know, at this point in time, you know, you should, you should probably try to be a little bit more, um, assertive with your doctor essentially. Um, and so, uh, we, you know, my naturopath gave me a tip. She said, they're going to, you know, they're going to be happy to run a, a blood test to check your, your, your progesterone levels, but they might not tell you that your progesterone changes throughout the month and you should go in on, I forget what day of the month it was. I think it was like the 21st day of my cycle or something like that when the progesterone is at its highest or supposed to be at its highest um, and get it checked then. So I went to my doctor, got the blood blood work requisition, went on the exact day my naturopath told me to go. Um, and when the results came back, my doctor told me, oh, it's within the normal range. So I don't think progesterone is the issue. Um, but I had her send my blood, the blood work results to my naturopathic doctor and my naturopath took a look at it and she said, she's right. It's within the normal range, but it's at the very low end of the normal range on the day when you're supposed to have the highest progesterone. Right. So that was indicating that was like barely getting in there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so then she, my, my naturopath said, look, there's all these things we can do that are, that are gentle ways of, um, of urging your progesterone to be higher, you know, teas we can drink and tinctures and acupuncture. And we did all that. But she said, the thing that is really going to give you the most impact 
is a progesterone suppository. Um, and she said, you know, a naturopath in, in, uh, in Ontario where she practices is, is not actually, they're not licensed to prescribe that. So she said, you should ask your doctor about a, a, a progesterone suppository. I can't, you know, prescribe it to you, but you should ask your doctor about it. So I went and asked my doctor and my doctor said, actually, you know what, that's, that can't hurt. So let's try it. So you go to a compounding pharmacy, they, they make you a, a progesterone suppository and you, you know, um, use it as soon as you get a, a positive pregnancy test for a few weeks. And I did that on my fourth pregnancy. And I really think that's what worked. Oh, and, the, you know, great that you were absolutely proactive. And it just makes me think of how fertility is such a complex mm-hmm. alignment of things. And, and we usually hear when we think fertility, people having issues of getting pregnant. And we uh-huh. don't hear so much so I, uh, about the, the staying pregnant. So I truly yeah. appreciate, yeah, your, your sharing that. Tell me, though, how, was, how were you doing along all this? Of it, uh, this, this must have been like a year and a half. I don't know. How long was this experience to get from that first positive pregnancy test to your fourth one? Well, my first positive pregnancy test was in um, October of 2017, and I finally had my my rainbow baby um, in late June 2019. So, um, you know, it was. But that being said, four pregnancies in that period of time is you know is a lot. We we didn't. I didn't want to wait in between a miscarriage and trying again because I was so anxious to have my baby. And so I just, I didn't want to give up, you know? Um, that being said, it was very hard emotionally. And the fourth time I got pregnant, I remember like going for a walk with my best friend and saying to her, I don't know if I can handle another loss. (laughs) Yeah. So how were you during that first trimester waiting to get past, I guess the 11th, 12th week? Um, honestly, it's very nerve wracking. I was like totally on edge. Um, and you know, it should be a really happy time and you want to tell the world, but I didn't want to tell anyone until I knew for sure it was going to stick because what I learned is the most painful thing is when you've, you've told, like we did this the first time we told all our friends, um, and, a week later, we had to tell, you know, a week later, I had a miscarriage and friends would ask us, oh, how are you? How's, you know, how are you doing as a pregnancy? And then you have to say, oh, I lost it. And it's painful to talk about it, but it's also, I feel like it's painful for people to hear it too. So then you feel like you're <laughs> inflicting pain on everyone you talk to, you know, so. And that's such a tough situation because as you said at the beginning, it is extremely common miscarriages Mm -hmm. early losses are very very common the percentages i think it's even like one in three um that have had some experience of and that's even known miscarriages because you might have an early loss that you don't even realize you know you didn't realize you were pregnant um and so the fact that this is so very common but we don't talk about it means that so many people like yourself have to be going through this alone and kind of in this isolating situation of I can't tell 
the people that I love because then I'm going to hurt them if something goes wrong. Where it's like, who's supporting you when, yeah. when you're going through this? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's like safeguarding others from the pain, but who? But you are the one experiencing the most of the pain yeah. when it happens. Yeah. And I will say my naturopathic doctor was so good for that. I saw her fairly frequently because we were doing, you know, acupuncture and, um, and she like, I feel like she was like a psychiatrist for me too, because she just, you know, she said, look, there are things we can do. You're, you know, it's, it's not hopeless. I have seen this happen before and I've seen people have babies after, you know, five, six, seven losses. Um, and then they have a beautiful baby. So like, we'll get there, you know? And that was, it, it was really crucial to have that kind of support. Mm. Did you get support from any other mental health specialists specifically, or was it more of the focus that, you know, we're just, do, like, she's telling me we can do it and we're just, let's not wait. Let's keep going. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't talk to any mental health professionals. I mean, during this time, I saw I saw my ND, I saw my family doctor, I did see a gynecologist um who ran some tests. Uh, he basically said, "Look, I don't like I don't see anything wrong. Like keep going." Um uh I I saw, you know, a midwife because I I I thought, you know, the first pregnancy, I thought, okay, like meet with the midwife. I didn't know I was going to have a loss. Um so <laughs> I feel like I was seeing lots of mental health or sorry, lots of health professionals, but I didn't see a mental health professional. I'd say, you know, probably my husband was the <laughs> was the biggest uh, you know, um kind of mental support for me because he listened he listened to me. Mm -hmm. Cry and and you know, be frustrated, but you know, at the end of the day said, like, it's okay. Like there's, we, we shouldn't, we shouldn't put put this time pressure on ourselves. Like it's going to happen. It'll happen eventually. And it's, it's okay if it takes a while. Mm. Well, I am, you know, sorry that you had to, of course, that you had to go through all that. Um, and even if it's something that's very common, it's still, yeah, we should be able to talk about these things more. So thank you for sharing that so much. Yeah. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about this rainbow pregnancy. We'll be right back. And we are back talking with Shay Cole about her birth journey or her pregnancy journey. And so now you're pregnant for the fourth time. You have passed that critical 11, 12 week mark. Are you feeling like you can finally get into enjoying this pregnancy? Yeah, um, I would say like I didn't start to feel a little bit better emotionally until maybe like week 14 or 15. Um, that's when I was like, okay, maybe we're in the clear. I mean, the whole pregnancy, I was a little anxious. But at that point in time, I started to feel a little bit better. Um, I mean, that's when you're, you're like for me, that's when my um, morning sickness also started to go away. So that probably helped a bit. Um, but I think I, I, I started telling people that like, week 15 or 16. Okay. Yeah. And then in terms of preparation for what you wanted for birth, what were you doing relating to that? Uh, well, at this point in time, I had, I think I started listening to your podcast in like the spring of 2017. So like, you know, a, a good while before I even started trying to have a baby. 
um, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to do this kind of soon, right? So I started listening to your podcast. So at this point in time, um, by the time I came to my fourth pregnancy, I had listened to a lot of your podcast and checked out a lot of the resources that guests on your show mention, um, read, you know, read some books, looked at the websites. So I felt really educated um, and really prepared. And it was great to have that confidence. Um, but I would say that the, the piece of content um, that, you know, I actually got tipped off from your show, um, but uh, that it was, it was Ina Mae Gaskin's book that really I found so, so useful. Um, and that was, after reading that book, I was like, okay, I really want to have um, a natural unmedicated birth. And uh, that's my goal. So then what did you do to set that into motion? Um, well, I, uh, I worked with a midwife at uh, the birth center here locally. Um, and that, the birth center was amazing. Honestly, it's, you know, compared to the, when I compared the way I felt walking into that place versus the way I feel walking into a hospital, it was like night and day, you know, it was just such a beautiful, peaceful um, like sunny environment. And, um, I really could picture myself giving birth there. The midwives were amazing. They were so patient. They didn't, you know, they didn't make a huge deal of everything, right? It wasn't like, um, every little thing was like overly measured and overly analyzed. And I think that was good for my, my anxiety, for my nerves, right? Um, they were very like, oh, you know, like they, they educated me a lot, but they didn't, um, they, I just didn't feel like I was being overly poked and prodded, you know? I do um, know. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so that was great. Like when I tell my, my girlfriends who had an OB that, um, after the first visit, I never got weighed and they, like, it's a little thing. And they're always like, what? They weighed, they weighed me every time I went to the OB. And I'm like, nope, they weighed me the first time. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, I remember my pregnancy, one of the things that I didn't have to do that was like the thing, and I did it several times, but not every time I went in, which was to give a urine sample. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Nope, we're talking, like there was more focus on talking and how I was feeling and how I was doing than, which takes more time. And of course there was like measuring of the belly and just, but if everything was going well and there was nothing to point you to be high risk, then they were just treating you like that. Exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, of course, I was still educating myself. I was still, um, so my, my naturopath who had gotten me to this point, um, is also a doula. And so, um, I continued seeing her occasionally just to, you know, prep for the birth and also to, um, make sure that I was on track with nutrition and my supplements and things like that. Um, so that was really helpful. Um, I, um, I found, so I, I sent you in my, my links as prep, um, Aviva Rom's website. She has a really great section on natural pregnancy, um, that I found super helpful, um, in terms of like nutrition and, and, you know, what supplements to take and things like that. Um, and I did take a hypnobirthing class as well, um, which I think was, um, it was especially helpful in those, those few months leading up to birth to help me kind of like prepare myself mentally. 
Mm. And I know this is anecdotal, but I'm wondering, because you were looking at Aviva Ram's stuff and you were working with a naturopath, were you guys doing anything proactively to make sure you were groupie strep negative or trying to, you can't make sure, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. So there, and, and I was groupie strep negative. Um, there was um, a, uh, like a kind of a dietary um, tips and tricks guide that my naturopath gave me. Um, we made sure that I was on a really good probiotic. Um, and uh, Aviva Ram talks about this a lot about um, the, also the benefits for the baby's microbiome and being on um, specific strains of probiotic for pregnant and breastfeeding women. Um, and so there's a, a one that is specifically formulated for women and, and, um, and it, you know, helps you avoid UTIs and other stuff that's, that's common during pregnancy. So we did that. Do you remember um, which one that was? And again, we were telling people we're not giving medical advice and we're not. But... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was um, by net. The brand is natural factors and it's a, I am um, a women's probiotic with cranberry in it. Um, so that's, that's the one I, I started taking, um, as soon as I started seeing my naturopath and, and I still take it. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing, uh, kind of, sim uh, kind of related, um, there is a probiotic cream, um, by Genestra that's, it's called, um, HMF cream. And, um, that is another example of like, you know, kind of getting advice from multiple practitioners and like seeing what works. Um, whether or not that's good, uh, but it worked for me because I had, um, at one point I had asked my midwife, um, you know, if there was anything I could do for some issues I was having. And she sent me, um, to, just to the pharmacy to get, um, clotrimazole. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, uh, yeah. Like an antibiotic lotion. Cream. Yeah. 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 Like canestin or whatever. Um, and it didn't do anything kind of made things worse, actually. Um, and my naturopath suggested this probiotic cream, this HMF uh, cream by Genestra, and it worked like overnight. And it's actually, I found it's really good for diaper rash too. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I'll look yeah. into that for sure. Yeah. So let's move you forward to day of or around. Yeah, I, I, I get excited. I'm like, how was the day of? And then remember that labor starts very many different ways. So how did it all start? Um, well, so first of all, I, I, I guess I'll say that I was a week late and I was happy about that because I was in a cast <laughs> because I had a broken foot. <laughs> Um, okay, wait, how is... did that happen? <laughs> so uh, my due date was June 19th. And on the early in the morning on um, the last day of May, um, at about this is a crazy story, at about 5am, um, my dog started barking. And I to, to kind of paint the picture, my husband's a helicopter pilot. So he had been he was away flying, he had been away for a few weeks. Um, I hadn't come home yet. And, um, and I live in the middle of the woods. Like I, most of my neighbors are like seasonal cottagers. Um, we live on a lake on a private road in the middle of the woods. Um, so at 5am when my dog started barking, like frantically, I was kind of freaked out and I 
I, um, you know, walked down my stairs and there was a stranger sitting on my couch petting my dog. Whoa. Um, yeah, complete stranger. And so <laughs> apparently what had happened was he was um, quite confused um, from drinking too much. And my door, like when I locked my door at night, I, it didn't fully click, my patio door. And this person had wandered into my house, not, you know, he, he was not aggressive. He just was confused. And he like took off his shoes at the door and sat on my couch petting my dog. <laughs> um, so anyways, that was a, I, I ushered him outside and then called the police to come escort him home. Um, but it was a, you know, a traumatic experience. And when I was telling my friends about this um, that day at work, they were like, oh my God, like you can't, we don't want you to stay at home alone tonight. Cause my husband, again, my husband wasn't home. So one of my friends came and stayed with me um, and he, uh, he brought his dog and like slept on my couch and um, was like, you know, I'm going to make sure that you're all right. It's very sweet of him. And then um, the next morning before he left, I was like, oh, let's, you know, it's beautiful. Let's take the dogs for a walk. <laughs> and of course, I'm like, I can totally hike through the woods. No problem. I'm nine months pregnant, but it's fine. Like I'm in good shape, whatever. Right towards the end of the walk, I um, was like stepping down from the woods on back onto the road, which is like a sloped kind of surface. And I like had to hop down a little bit. And, you know, when you're pregnant, you've got the relaxin running through your body. Your like joints are a little loosey-goosey. I kind of like, I took a tumble, rolled my ankle, didn't land on my stomach because I caught myself by my arms, but couldn't walk. Um, my friend had to bring me to the hospital. They did x-rays. They're like, yep, you have a broken, you know, the very bottom of your, your tibia there is broken. Um, had to get, I had to get a cast <laughs> nine months pregnant Whoa. and beyond crutches. <laughs> uh, I, like what was going on that weekend? What were the stars doing? I don't even know. <laughs> know. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very. I know. Oh, so, okay. You're one week late happy because you've got your what did your husband say when he get home when he got home he was just like this is so typical right I'm a, I'm a bit clumsy so he's like this is so typical <laughs> it was I mean it's kind of comical right I was fine like I could it was a pain in the butt because I was very active throughout my whole pregnancy and then right towards the end when I really wanted to like I had pictured myself kind of walking that baby out you know what I mean like hiking the hills and in, in my neighborhood to like walk that baby out but like I couldn't because I couldn't really walk <laughs> mm, requiring so. mental adjustment for sure let's yeah take another break we'll be right back diaper rash it can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby and so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use so many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. 
This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we are back. Uh, I'm still like laughing from just picturing what I would do if I would come down and there was this guy just sitting on my couch petting my dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then, okay, you're a week late. That cast happened right around your due date, right? So you've had this cast on for about a week? No, so the the cast ha- I was due on the nineteenth. The cast happened on June first. So, um, and it wasn't a super bad break. So I was still wearing the air boot um, when my due date came, but I was not using the crutches anymore. I could like walk around on the air boot. So um, you know, a week later, when my water finally broke, um, I like. I think I took the air boot with me to the birth center, but I didn't wear it while I was in labor because I was like, okay, like I'm done with this. Right. <laughs> so then I'm you're not wearing this during labor. <laughs> you got other things to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your water broke about two weeks after your due date. No, one week after oh, my okay. due date. Yeah. So yeah. your water yeah. broke one week after your due date. Um, and your husband was home by then. 
He was home. Yeah. He came home um, about a week before my due date. Um, and we were just like preparing all the, the last minute things and everything. Um, I had a stretch and sweep um, on like the Saturday. And then, uh, and then on Monday evening, my water broke. But it was weird because like, you know, you always picture when you, when you haven't been through it before, you picture your water breaking and there being like, this big rush of liquid that like splashes on the floor and everything. But for me, it didn't happen that way at all. Um, I was vacuuming and like, I felt a little gush, like kind of in my underwear, but not so much that I, like, I kind of questioned, I was like, "Mm," like, you know, when you're, when you're past due and you're, you've already lost your mucus plug, like you have discharge. Right. So I was like, was that my water breaking? I'm not sure. Um, and when I, I, you know, I texted my midwife and I'm like, I don't know, like maybe my water broke, maybe I'm jumping the gun. And she was like, okay, well, if you're not sure, then like probably not, but just in case, like sleep on it and then come see me first thing in the morning. So, um, first thing in the morning I went to see her and, um, they did, you know, they can kind of like test the fluid to see if it's, if it is amniotic fluid. And sure enough, she's like, oh yeah, your water did break. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. And then, so what was, did anything change from then in terms of care, in terms of what you were thinking, what the midwife was thinking? Yeah. So um, because I was group B strep negative, um, they weren't super concerned that, um, that my water had broken with the midwives. They'll give it um, up to 96 hours after your, your water has broken, at least in, in Quebec where I live, um, 96 hours uh, before they'll kind of transfer you to an OB for basically a C-section, right? Um, so they said, okay, well, you know, we've got time. However, we'd prefer if you have this baby sooner than later. So um, they start to do some kind of gentle encouraging, right? So uh, water broke on Monday night. On Tuesday, I went in there. They checked. They said, yes, your water broke. Um and then she said, okay, well, if, if you don't mind, I want to keep you here today to um, try to encourage the baby to come. And so what they did was they used a breast pump. And um, I did like five minutes on, five minutes off um, of the breast pump to try to get the contractions going. Um, and, uh, and she was giving me like some homeopathic tinctures and like red raspberry leaf tea and stuff like that. Um, my naturopath came to the birth center and did some acupuncture in between using the breast pump. Um, and I, I did, I got contractions while the breast pump was going, but then they would kind of like peter out. They weren't like super consistent. So we did that from like 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. And then my midwife was like, okay, this is not going to happen today. Go home, get some rest. If you reach, you know, if the contractions come at any point and you reach that kind of, um, what is it, like the 411, you know, like. Uh, right, contractions I, happening every four minutes happening and, and being a minute or longer yeah, and yeah. lasting for an hour. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she said, if you reach that milestone, call me. So um, basically, as soon as I went to bed that night, I started feeling the contractions pick up a little bit. And um you know, I kind of felt like things were happening because I couldn't really sleep. Um, by midnight, I woke my husband up and I'm like, I think I'm 411. <laughs> so, um, 
So uh, we called the midwife and she said, okay, you know, why don't you, uh, you know, meet, meet me at the birth center in, in an hour or whatever. So we headed to the birth center at that point. Um, and that was, that was Wednesday morning at, by the time we got there, I think it was, it was like 4.30 or 5 in the morning because it like, you know, it took us a while to like get things ready, call the midwife, like get a line. I don't, the, the timeline seems kind of like a, a blur, but for some reason I, th- I feel like it was more like 4.30 or 5 when we actually got there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that point, contractions, you were feeling like they were taking your full attention and you couldn't quite do anything else in, while they were happening? Yeah, like I was, um, I was using my hypnobirthing uh, technique to like breathe through them. Um, they were manageable, um, but I definitely would like stop and like focus on my breathing when they came. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you get to the birth center. What happens then? Like, did they were they check going to check you, or were they trying to avoid that because your waters had been broken released for? several days uh she did check me um and so this is another one of these big learnings i had um was and something that i'm really glad i did was in my birth plan i had written um that i didn't if they were going to check me i didn't want them to tell me how dilated i was um and i actually got that tip from your show i forget what episode it was but some one of your one of the birth stories, the mama had said that she did that, and when I heard that, I I knew that that was going to be a good technique for me because I'm I'm like I will focus on that. If somebody gives me a number, I will focus on that and obsess over it. So I had told them like, you can check me all you want. Don't tell me how dilated I am. You can tell my doula. You can tell my husband. Don't tell me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So no, they that, I when love, I got there, but <laughs> yeah, I love that. So because it can be, if you know specifically that that's going to get in your head, and that birth is not linear, it does its own thing. So that number really doesn't mean that much. But if we yeah. put so much stock into it, yeah. So yeah. don't tell me they didn't tell you, but do you know how long <laughs> far apart you were now? Yeah. So after the fact, of course, they told me um, when I got to the birth center, I was only like two centimeters. And because my water had broken and it had been a little while, um, my midwife made the call to keep me at the, at the birth center. Um, I found out after the fact, like, I guess if I had been at a hospital or if I had been, um, like at a birth center in a different province of Canada, they're actually like, they have a rule that like, they have to send you home if you're not four centimeters. So um, I guess I was lucky that I was where I was in at a, at a birth center in Quebec where the midwives have more um, discretion, where they don't necessarily have to send you home if you're not four centimeters. And it's always so interesting to me, the different practices around the world in terms of birth yeah. and even not, not around the world, like even across the hospitals and birth centers and just in your own town. Because here, if your water is broken and you go to the hospital, in my neck of the woods, it's like, okay, your water's broken. You're going to have a baby at some point. Let's keep you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she the, the midwife told me afterward that that um, that the, the fact that my water had broken did definitely weigh, it, weigh in her decision. But she told me if you had been at the hospital, um, 
then uh, and and it would have been either like, okay, we're either going to give you a C-section because nothing's happening or induce you or like if the timing is right, we're going to send you home. There would have been no scenario in which it was like, we're not going to we're not going to induce you. We're not going to give a C-section, but we are going to keep you here, even though you're two centimeters, you know? Yeah. And then here it would be that push of it's been this long and you're going, but not, you need help. So let's induce you. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So, but I like Adriana, I thought I was like full blown in labor because the contractions were getting more and more intense. Um, and by like noon, uh, which was around the next time she checked me, like they were intense enough that like I like I had some tears. Like my my hypnobirthing techniques were they were getting me through, but like I was I was convinced that this was happening happening quickly. Um, <laughs> but I found out after the fact that when she checked me at noon, only then was I four centimeters. Um, and then when she checked me again at like 4 p.m. when they were there was a shift change, so the the like backup midwife came in. I was only five centimeters, so um, it was actually going quite slowly, and I had no idea because I, like the contractions were getting steadily more intense. And where were you I feeling was, them? You know, where was I feeling them? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I guess in my, in my like lower abdomen, he was in, he was sitting really low for the past few weeks. He had been sitting really low, um, which actually is something else I wanted to, to mention because I, um, they, you know, you said that the midwives measure your belly. My belly measurements had plateaued in the last few weeks. Um, and everyone kept saying, oh, you look so small. I can't believe you're nine months pregnant. Your belly's so small. Um, but it was because he had moved very low. And so, you know, he was like deep down in there. So my belly wasn't protruding that much. Um, and I ended up having, uh, just about a nine pound baby. So (laughs) another learning is just because your belly is measuring small, doesn't mean your baby is small. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I felt it, you know, kind of, I didn't have back labor, if that's what you're asking. I, I did not have back labor. Yeah. And I was wondering if it was, because sometimes it can take longer because baby's not in the greatest position. Um, so I was wondering no, about that. He yeah. was he was perfect. He was head down, um, like facing sideways. I forget which side is optimal, but they, they told me he was in like the optimal position. Yeah. The LOA left side yeah 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 cool so yeah i don't know it's a i it was just slow to dilate um it was just what was how it was gonna go so yeah you said you know you were truck you were doing you were staying focused you were doing your best it went from 4 30 in the morning to then noon to then 4 p.m shift change you got checked you were five but not didn't know it where were where were you at this point in terms of thinking, I've got this, uh, this is getting to be too much? Like, where was your mind? It was hard. But at that point in time, I still thought I can do this. But I also thought I was near the end, right? So I think that's why I thought I could do it. Because I was convinced that, okay, like, this is really intense. I must be getting close. Right. I had already 
you know, like uh, I think I'm sure it's so hard to remember the timelines, but at some point in the evening, um, like I, there started a little bit of blood started to come out, which at first I was really scared, but then the midwife and the doula were like, no, 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 that's good. That's a good sign. I'm sure at that point they were like sigh of relief of like, yes, we've got blood now. Yeah, exactly. They There was like cheering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I really thought I was near the end, like basically the whole time. Um, but I wasn't. Uh, but um, my doula was so, so helpful. She was like doing acupressure and like letting me lean on her and like suggesting different positions and like feeding me watermelon and um, making me drink water. And like, it was um, really, really useful to have her there. And even just so she could give Felix, my husband, tips on what he could be doing to help as well. Um, and so then toward in the evening, that's, that's when I started like the hypnobirthing at that point kind of left my brain. I know, I, I know that like for some women, they're able to stay in that zone the whole time, like through to the end. For me, like when it got really intense, I, I just I could not stay in that super zen state of mind. Um, and the only thing that helped was I started to get really vocal. And they, you know, my naturopath and my midwife encouraged me to like use that. And this was on one of your one of your episodes as well. I remember it's like use that guttural kind of like low, like moan slash yell to like help the baby down. Um, and that yelling. I feel bad for everyone in the birth center, but that yelling was the only thing that got me through. Um, and it got like, by the end, I was very, very loud. <laughs> but you know, to the uh, point where my, my husband put in earplugs, he was letting me like lean on him and I was screaming right in his ear. And so I do not blame him, but he had earplugs on. <laughs> I feel that so deeply because I was the same and it was just that was well that was my coping mechanism that was was getting me through it yeah yeah, yeah exactly oh. so and at, at one point um basically they had so my doula and my husband and my midwife had a little huddle in the hallway without me knowing and they based the midwife basically said look things are not progressing um I, like she's only five centimeters. I could send her home, but I feel like she's so exhausted that will really deflate her and like it's not going to be good. So um, the suggestion was to try to be more, more proactive in making things speed up. So what they did at that point um, was uh, they brought out the breast pump again <laughs> and they had me do um, I can't remember if it was five minute or 10 minute increments, but basically like the on off again and in between breast pumping, um, which by the way, the breast pump made the contraction so much more intense. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and in between, you know, I, the only position I wanted to be in was on all fours, like kind of in like a ball. And cause that was the position that made the contractions the most manageable. But what they said to me was like, at this point, you're not going for manageable because that means that like you're keeping the baby from moving down. You want to go in those positions that are actually the most uncomfortable because those are the ones that mean it's putting pressure on the baby, it's moving him down. So for me, that was like squatting, sitting on the toilet and the birthing stool or like, oh, and also they had me do this like they called it the runner's pose. So it was like kind of a like um like a lunge like you're on one knee kind of like lunging 
Um, yeah, is it like getting down on one need to propose? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had me rotate between like all of the positions I hated the most. <laughs> and, um, and man, that was intense. And we did that for like an hour and a half. Oh, and they were giving me like tinctures and stuff. Um, we did that for an hour and a half and then they checked me again. And again, there was like cheering because at this point in time, after all that, I said to the midwife, and this was like, you know, by this time it was like nine or 10 at night. Um, I said to the midwife, okay, I know, like, I didn't want to know, but now I really need to know where we're at. Yeah, because I've um, been thinking forever, I'm done, and it's it's not happening. It's not done. Um, yeah, and, like, that was – during that time, that was when I was really, like – that's that was the point in time where I was, like, I don't know if I can do this. And I said to, to Felix, like, Felix, I don't know if I can do this. And he said to me, Shay, this is what you wanted. You can do this you are doing this. And like, I am here to help make sure that you don't have to go to the hospital. That's what you wanted. You didn't want to go to the hospital. This is what we're doing. And he kind of like gave me this pep talk, um, <laughs> which I told him beforehand. I said, don't, when I get to that point where I want to give up, don't let me. <laughs> so he didn't. <laughs> and that was really helpful too. Um, so yeah. So then when, when we got checked after, after an hour and a half of that, when I was like really hitting a wall, I said, okay, tell me. Tell me where we're at. And when she said you're at eight centimeters, at first I wanted to cry because I was like, how can I not be at 10? But and then she was like, no, 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 this is great. <laughs> let's tell you what happened all day long. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So oh. she was like, you don't understand. An hour and a half ago, you were five and now you're eight. So yeah. um, whatever yeah. was keeping like just that nudge, like this is something that I so see over and over in birth whenever things get quote unquote stuck or are not going so much mm -hmm. this need for proactivity because yeah. something's like you're doing what you're doing and that's not working something needs to change and that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean like full-on blown out medical interventions but getting to a mental state of like okay i've got to do whatever needs to be done because this is just exhausting me yeah and the thing is when you do the things you try different things and most often than not like, like it, there's no guarantees but you know 95 percent of the time you hit on that thing that was needed yeah. and then things take off like the yeah. change is immediate which is so gratifying be, that you get that instant feedback of the yeah, there it was we did it like we turned the corner here we go yeah exactly and it, it was like that and then you know the the last two centimeters I feel like that time flew by um now we weren't doing the breast pump anymore I was still doing the terrible poses that I really hated um but it, it that that time felt like it flew by um and before I knew it, like I was, I was pushing. So, um, and then, you know, actually that's when it got interesting again, because they're, they're now monitoring the heart rate, um, with that little kind of Doppler ma machine, um, between every contraction. And, um, and at one point, I think I was on the birthing stool at one point they said, okay, the heart rate is dropping. Um, the policy at the birth center is to call the ambulance um, 
which is only five minutes. Like the hospital is literally around the corner. So um, they called the ambulance, but they said, look, just because we call it doesn't mean you need to get in it. Let's try some other positions um, and see if that helps. Um, so, you know, after all the like research that I did and the videos that I watched and the books that I read, I never thought I would give birth on my back with my legs in the air, but that's how I gave birth because that was the only position where the heart rate was strong. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't, I didn't end up getting in the ambulance, but it was called. Um, and the midwife said to me at that point, you know, again, like, I go back to my hypnobirthing class where they're like, you breathe the baby out. You don't really need to push. You can just like breathe it out um, and then you'll prevent tearing and all these things. Um, but when it came down to it, because of the heart rate issue, my midwife was like, if you don't want to get in the ambulance, you need to get this baby out quickly. Um, <laughs> was that Felix laughing in the background? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> He's laughing because he was at the hypnobirthing class and we, we both thought that it was going to be so easy based on, you know, watching those hypnobirthing videos and like these women literally breathing out their baby. And that was not how it was for me at all. Right. I pushed as hard as I've ever pushed. Um, and the I, 45 minutes later, the baby came out, cord very tightly wrapped around his neck, which was the problem with the heart rate. Um but, you know, they unwrapped him and, um, and he was fine. Um, one thing I wanted to note because it was super helpful was when I was pushing, at first I didn't really know like where to push, right? My midwife put her finger on his head basically or like near his head and she said, focus, you're pushing there. And I like kind of pushed like on her hand basically and that really helped me understand how to push him out. Mm -hmm. And I find that, it, oh, so many things come up when you say all that, of, <laughs> you know, hypnobirthing can be a great tool. Those, those are fabulous tools, but oh, yeah. you've got to have a lot of tools in your bag because that, yes. the, in your case, it carried you only so far and then you had other things. And yeah. that being loud, having to push, having to do things a little differently um, and more actively doesn't mean that you know, you're not getting what you want or that you were in any way a failure or right. it's just birth is a primal thing that comes in different ways. And when people say, oh, I was so loud, I always the image that comes to my mind is that of a thunderstorm. Yeah, like it's powerful. It's natural. It's nature. It's, you know, there's so much intensity and it's loud, but there's nothing wrong, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. Like if I had to go back and do it all over again, I would do the hypnobirthing class again. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what I will say is it was really helpful for me um, the few weeks beforehand and in the like the beginning phases because I wasn't scared at any point. Like even when I was exhausted, I wasn't scared. And I think that the hypnobirthing course is what gave me that. And that was that was incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. I just sometimes I hear from people. I did the hypnobirthing course and then it wasn't like that. And they feel like it should have been that way. And I think it's more about not having an expectation of a should specific way that birth should look like. Because it can be that quiet and calm, but it can also be, you know, this raging storm and they're all 
just as good and valid. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, he must, I mean, you said he was nine pounds. <laughs> just about, yeah, he was eight pounds and 15 ounces. So, and <laughs> you're not an, a very big person. So there was a lot, it required a little bit more force and a little bit more directed pushing. And the whole thing of push, that is a technique that can be really helpful of having fingers in when to focus that energy. And sometimes we talk about like push her fingers out. Yeah. Focus on yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. her fingers out. And that tends to be really, yeah, I've seen it work well. Yeah, it was really helpful. Because when I first started like feeling, quote unquote, feeling pushy, it was like, it wasn't like, you know, they talk about this feeling of like, you feel like you have to poop. <laughs> um, it didn't really feel like that for me. Like I just felt like he was getting really heavy. And maybe it was like, maybe I started pushing too soon because I was just really anxious to be done. Hmm. Um, but like, it, it just wasn't, didn't feel as um, kind of like just easy and natural as I thought it would um, until he was like really kind of the head was almost out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then there was also the extra layer of, I'm sure, everybody around going heartbeat is dipping. like And, and that whole, just that layer of heartbeat dipping and having you get in a position not that was working for you to push but a position that he could tolerate yeah exactly exactly so yeah I mean <laughs> on the back legs in the air <laughs> just like you see in the movies <laughs> hold your breath and curl up exactly oh, yeah well yeah. I mean that's what was needed at that point yeah exactly and then when he came out um well, first of all, I will say that he, he his skin was like like almost black. It was so blue because of the cord being wrapped around. Um, but as soon as they like flipped him around and unwrapped it, he pinked right up. And um, I didn't even really notice that he looked so dark when he came out. But it, it it scared Felix a bit. He you know he talks about it now. Like oh my god. Like I was like is it is he okay? Um, but then as soon as they put him on my chest, he pinked right up, and he was he was great. Um, and uh, I had – so one thing I did not realize um, was that with the delayed cord clamping, because, I, you know, we had talked about with my midwife how I wanted that. That was their standard anyways. Um, I guess after I pushed the baby out, I was so anxious to be done that I was like, can I please push out the placenta now? <laughs> and I just <laughs> – She's like, sure, if you want to. So I pushed the placenta out and then they were like, okay, now we cut the cord since the placenta is out. And I was like, wait, 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 what? Because I didn't realize, I mean, it makes sense now that you think about it, but I didn't realize that once the placenta is out, like you might as well cut the cord. Um, And if I had known that, I probably wouldn't have been as anxious to push the placenta out right away because I would have wanted the cord to, like I would have wanted to wait a little bit longer. And you know physiologically like you were encouraging that placenta to come down but you can't unless you're getting in there manually and grabbing it and pulling you know if the placenta is not ready it's not gonna release you know what I mean yeah yeah well and the other thing is like it seemed like I had envisioned that it was going to like we're it was going to be a noticeable weight before we cut the cord and it seemed like it happened right away. But then in hindsight, when I was talking to my midwife about it, she's like, no, I mean, it was, it was a good like five or five to seven minutes, which, um, apparently like it felt like it was like immediate, but 
she said, that's, you know, that's a decent amount of time. Don't, you know, yeah. don't worry. He, he got the benefit of that cord. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so, Did you um, tear? Um, I had the tiniest little tear on the inside wall. Um, I didn't have any tears on my perineum. And we didn't do stitches because the midwife was like, this is such a tiny tear. It's going to be healed in a, like a day or two. Just leave it. Yeah, and just in the inside wall trying to get the stitch over there would be so uncomfortable. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I had used um, a device called an Epino, um, which is – it's kind of controversial in the sense that, like, a lot of of places that I've read or people I've heard talking about it have said, like, eh, it doesn't – you know, you might as well just do uh, the perineal massage. The Epino doesn't really help. Um, and other people I talked to, like moms that I talked to who used it were like, I swear this was like the Holy grail. Like it saved my perineum. So, um, I just thought like it couldn't hurt. And especially since I found it really hard to do the perineal massage myself and my husband was away. So, um, I just couldn't really reach very well. So the Epino, um, is a device that helps you, you know, prepare your perineum, um, without having to get in that weird position. And um, I really believe that that is what prepared my perineum and the reason why I didn't tear, you know, nine pound baby, I didn't tear. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I think it's, yeah, it's one of those things that whether you need to do anything or not do, it's hard to say, but that's only a decision you can make. Um, yeah, exactly. One of the things that seems helpful about the Epino is that you get biofeedback, right? You can yes. see a gauge. You can see it's, you, yeah, there's that specific response. So that, that your mind's involved in figuring this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I knew, I knew what to expect because it really um, – it, it really shows you what it feels like to have a 10 centimeter round thing there, right? Like, like a baby head. Um, and so again, I think it contributed to me not being afraid, which was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And we'll link it on the show notes. You sent me the link. Um, and it's basically mm-hmm. like, well, you can explain it. It's, it, it's, it's like a balloon that you're inflating yeah. slowly. Yep, a balloon with like a little hand pump with like a gauge so you can see what the pressure is. And you do it like I, I did it every day starting at when did I start? I think 34 weeks um, was when you when I started um, and I did it every day uh, for 10 minutes. Um, and look, it's not fun. It's not comfortable, but it's also not really painful. And you do it slowly. You don't you know, you don't do 10 men, 10 centimeters on the first day. Um, but eventually I got there and, um, and it really helped. They don't sell them in Canada. I don't know if they sell them in the States. They Um, don't. I looked at the website, so it's a, yeah, we'll link it, but you might not even be able to get one. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like I know they used to sell them in Canada because I have friends who have used them, but, um, there was some, like some weird law about importing medical devices that made it so that they couldn't sell them in Canada anymore. Um, and so I had my mother-in-law lives in Europe. I had her buy one and mail it to me. And um, yeah, it, I, like I would use it again for sure. But like you said, I don't know what, whether you need to or not. I don't know. It might have been all in my head that it helped me. Um, but I would do it again. Mm. So 
as we wrap up, was there something specifically that you wanted to make sure people heard that we haven't gotten to? Um, I think like the biggest thing is like arm yourself with lots of information, but also don't expect things to go the way you expect them to go. Right. Um, and I know I've said it a couple times already, but for me, the most useful thing was just like, don't to not be afraid. Um, and you know, to all those moms who like, you know, someone told me, Oh, your baby's really big. You're really small. Um, you know, this is going really slowly. Like just all of these negative things that people can tell you, um, take them in stride and don't be afraid, you know, be proactive, but don't be afraid. Yeah. And listen to the good, to the uh, balance them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, in the end, what I will say, like if there's anyone who will listen to this, who is considering having an unmedicated birth, um, the way I felt afterward was, okay, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I would do it again in a heartbeat because I feel superhuman. Having been able to do that, I felt like I could do anything, like totally on top of the world. And when I think back on it, I still feel that way. And I think we were driving home from the birth center the next morning. And my husband said to me that he felt like it was like I was a, a Marine, like in the Marine Corps, where they like, they push you, they push you to your, your limits um, physically and emotionally. And then you come out of it like superhuman strength because you were able to go through that. And um, it made me feel really good that he compared me to a Marine. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just like totally on top of the world feeling. Yeah. And it, like, what a, what a delight to go into parenting feeling I've got anything that yeah, you throw my yeah. way. I got, I got it all. I did this. I can take anything. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I kept saying to myself when it was getting really tough, the, the mantra um, from hypnobirthing actually. So I guess that's another thing I got from the course that I kept saying in my head was, this is really hard, but I can do hard things. And, um, I still say that to myself sometimes when, when I feel like things are hard, like I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love that saying. Yeah. Shay, thank you so very much for sharing your story. This was really no problem. Great. Thank you for letting me share my story. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here is what Shay had for breakfast. Uh, yes, I had muesli for breakfast today. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.